Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And today on Weird House Cinema, we are going to be talking about the 1983 Hong Kong martial arts fantasy film Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain, directed by Tsui Hak. And oh my God, this movie is so much. This is one of the most overwhelming films we have ever watched for the show. And I've been wanting to cover it for quite a while, uh, or at least for several months, because uh, in sometime last year, I think it was November of last year, we covered another movie by Soy Hawk, the 1979 film The Butterfly Murders, which did involve killer butterflies and mm-hmm. also had uh, just crazy intrigue, a lot of like politics and backstabbing and assassins and cool characters, you know, the 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 like big boss of the gangs and the and the green shadow and all, all these wonderful characters. I loved that movie. But when I went to check that movie out at Videodrome, I think they actually didn't have it. Uh, but they told me about another movie by the same director. They were like, oh, yeah, you should see Zoo Warriors. That one's really good. And so ever since, it has been on the list. And uh, some further investigation online proved that this movie has a reputation as an absolute banquet of weirdness, just bursting with gonzo sorcery, <laughs> shrieking demons, and relentless exuberance. And now that I've seen it, I can say not only did it deliver on my expectations, it sort of goes beyond. I found Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain to be immensely pl- pleasurable 
frankly, to the point of exhaustion, like a kind of <laughs> excess of pleasure that became pain. And by the end, I was just like, what has happened to me? Yeah, this is one of those movies that I, I maybe should have watched in short installments. Sometimes I watch movies like that, sometimes because I'll watch a movie that's maybe a little bit boring and I don't want to watch it all in uh, in one setting because it would be impossible. This one, it's it's the opposite. It's everything is just so exciting uh, and it just doesn't stop. <laughs> that you you feel like you almost need a breather between these action sequences because the narrative itself doesn't necessarily provide those breathers. Yeah, and other viewers I've read have commented about this quality of the movie that it's absolutely wonderful, but by the end, it's like literally overwhelming. It's like too much to take all at once. Uh, so I would just say I do highly recommend Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. Uh, once it w I was done watching it, I was like, I must own a copy of this. I ordered a copy <laughs> to keep. But prepare thyself. Prepare thyself for more pinball demons and eyebrow tentacles uh, and bubble wrap hands than you could have possibly imagined. Yeah, yeah. This is this is there's high martial arts magic in this film. Um, I was looking around at you know to see what different folks thought about it, and yeah, everyone seems to love this movie. Um, you know, it, it was a huge hit, like a cross generational hit. Uh, in China. Uh, so you had like the older generations going to the theaters and like, yeah, this is great. This is the kind of story we want to see. And then new generations of, uh, of, uh, of film fans also got on board with it because it was, as we'll discuss, kind of like a vision of the future. It It's, it's high tech special effects uh, cinema. And then, you know, likewise, it quickly found an audience uh, outside of China as well. Uh, you know, for instance, Michael Weldon in the Psychotronic Video Guide speaks highly of it. Like any anybody who saw this film was instantly overpowered by it. A couple other things that I found really admirable about this movie, uh, despite it just being the aforementioned banquet of weirdness, the movie also, I think, has a, has a good heart. Like even though it is a film about war and demons and supernatural combat, the moral refrain is very much about trying to find a way for people to live together in peace. Um, and so that sort of connects to one of the themes, which is that uh, despite how crazy and overwhelming the movie is, it also in a in a strange way kind of has a very clear head, like it's organized chaos. I think the feeling of chaos is actually a very smart depiction of the themes of the story, because you could argue that one of, the, one of the things the story here is about is the great number of ways that people are distracted and interrupted and divided and set against one another, always preventing them from achieving what should be their noble goals. For example, bringing about peace, ending war or, uh, or protecting the innocent. Though in the end of the film, uh, the the persistence, especially of the younger protagonists, does pay off to some degree. But it's a Rob, when you and I were first talking about it off mic, you used the word uh, side quests. Yeah, <laughs> it it that very much describes a lot of the structure of the plot. There's just a whole lot of. Um, the, the chaos is used to show this process of people always getting distracted from or uh, or driven away from by like personal infighting and differences from achieving what they know they should do. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, it is a film with a good heart. It And it's interesting to think about it in terms of Hawk's other films, especially his earlier films and, and also comparing it directly to The Butterfly Murders. The Butterfly Murders is, is in many ways a very, in many ways a very dark film. We talked yeah. about its nihilistic um, 
tendencies. And um, by this film, uh, it seems like he has moved away from some of the more um, controversial or confrontational uh, elements of his work. And in this movie, he's, he's crafting a film that is funny, um, that is comforting, that is exciting. Uh, but yeah, ultimately has a good heart and is not here to like show you deep, dark truths or anything of, of that nature. Well, yeah, it at least has a, I guess you could say a semi-happy ending. Like it doesn't have a bleak ending like Butterfly Murders where all right. the good characters die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not only, you remember Butterfly Murders, not only die, but explode. <laughs> yes, in the face, as I recall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that one's startling. Um, I still love Butterfly Murders, though. That was, so that's oh, a great yeah. one. Well, Joe, what is your elevator pitch, if we dare, for Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain? Well, the plot of Zoo Warriors is infamously difficult to summarize and describe. <laughs> so I'm going to say a deserter from incoherent wars, a flying scholarly swordsman, a monk, a monk's apprentice, a magic man with prehensile eyebrows, an enchanted countess and her loyal bodyguard, a heaven's blade, and a bunch of blood demon disciples all walk into a bar on a magic mountain. <laughs> that sounds about right. Well, let's go ahead and listen to an English-language trailer for this film. Deep in the heart of every culture lives a legend that will not die, for it is told of an enchanted mountain whose dark and vengeful spirit possesses the power to destroy all mankind. Now the courage of one man must rise to uncover the only weapon on earth with the power to bring about its destruction. Now restored and remastered for the first time, Hong Kong Legends invites you to experience the fantasy adventure which inspired a generation. Sounds exciting, but without the visuals, you you only have like twenty percent, maybe less, of the of the spectacle here. Now, if you are interested in watching uh, Zoo Warriors before we jump into it here, uh, well, first of all, I do want to stress there's more than one film that has the title Zoo Warriors in it. There's more than one Hawk film uh, that is a Zoo Warrior film. We're talking about the 1983 film, to be clear. 
Um, and if you want to watch it, uh, well, we watched it on the excellent 2023 Blu-ray release from Shout Factory. Uh, this is a great disc. Comes jam-packed with extras, some of which I'll be referring to, including segments with Peter Curran and academics Victor Fan and Lin Fing, as well as an interview from 2020 with Hawk himself. I didn't get a chance to get into the extras on this disc before I handed it off to you, but uh, yeah, it looks like a lot of great stuff on there, and so I'm excited for the copy I ordered. I also I went for the Shout Factory one. But just to clarify, in case people come across the other ones, there is, I, I think, the other version of this movie or some variation on it that Hawk did was a movie, I think, from 2001, which I've heard has a, a similar kind of approach of uh, just tons and tons of visual effects and strange imagery and all that. But it uses CGI, though I have – so the, on one hand, you think 2001 CGI, well, that sounds really awful – but uh, I haven't, though I haven't seen it, I've read some people saying very complimentary things about the movie, that it sort of stands out as a better use of excessive CGI effects than most other films like that from that time. Well, that would make sense with Hawk, uh, because he seems like the kind of director who, and I haven't seen uh, the, the remake that, that you're talking about here, but he seems like the kind of director who would embrace a new technology, but also figure out ways to use it effectively and um, uh, in, in, in a way that would maybe hold up better than your average sort of Scorpion King type usage. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the folks involved in this movie before we ooh, start wading into the plot. Um, <laughs> first of all, yeah, we have um, Joy Hawk here. Uh, if you have not said his name out loud or heard people speak his name, you may just see it uh, on IMDb and other places. And it looks kind of like Sue Hark. That might be the way you're kind of like you mentally pronounce it, uh, but it's more like uh, Choi Hawk. I've heard uh, also uh, sort of a Shu Hawk, uh, but Hawk uh, will be the way that I'm going to predominantly be referring to him. Yeah, usually transliterated in English most often as uh, T S U I H A R K. Yeah. So uh, he's a director here, born 1950, Vietnamese born, uh, Texas educated, Hong Kong film director, producer, and screenwriter. He studied film at Southern Methodist University and then at the University of Texas in Austin, graduated in 1975, worked in New York City for a bit, I believe on a Chinatown documentary, and then returned to Hong Kong in 1977. Now, we previously discussed Hawk in our episode, again, on his wild 1979 film, The Butterfly Murders, which was his first attempt to breathe new life into the wuxia genre via the incorporation of sort of cross-genre influences, and a general zeal for weirdness. I see a lot of commonality between these two movies, even though they are uh, very different in some ways. So, like, The Butterfly Murders is a much darker movie. I think you could say that it's more focused, it's less ambitious in some ways. But what's behind them is, in both cases, what feels like just like a very steady narrative hand in, in terms of directing, uh, like... Uh, it, it is a confidently told story in both cases. And also in both cases, it's just there's this kind of like really powerful, relentless narrative drive, a lot of energy, no dullness and like incredible density of yeah, plot developments. Yeah. Um, and indefinite weirdness. Like I want to stress that this isn't just a case of um, Hawk's work, especially his early work, being weird to westernize only. Uh, because I believe it was Victor Fan 
in one of the extras on the disc who mentioned weird storytelling as being a key hallmark of his films. Uh, something we could, of course, tie into the long tradition of weird stories in Chinese tradition, as well as the global realm of sort of psychotronic cinema. Now, based on Fing and uh, Hark's own comments on the disc, uh, there are, I think, a few things to keep in mind about the filmmaker here. So his earlier films prior to this are more confrontational. Like, like a lot of creatives, he had more of a zeal for that in his earlier films, but then he, he moved away from that as, as his career developed. Uh, you know, challenging censors less, challenging viewer expectations maybe a little less, while also retaining originality and creativity. Um, but even as he moved out of that kind of confrontational phase, he remained fearless when it came to bucking traditions, combining genres, and exploring filmmaking possibilities. Like they describe him as being the, this kind of filmmaker who, if you told him you, you don't do that or you can't do that, he would ask, well, why not? Why can't we do this? Why can't we try doing a film like this? Why can't we incorporate this influence or another influence? And in Zoo Warriors, we see this especially in his use of cutting-edge Hollywood special effects via American experts uh, brought in to work on the project. And we'll, we'll mention you know, them specifically in a bit. Uh, and, and ultimately, the creation of a film that is at once old-fashioned and based on a 1932 novel, but also futuristic in many ways. So Hawk him, himself cites this idea that the film is in many ways science fiction, but extending backwards through time instead of into the future. I've seen this idea explored um, concerning Western fantasy fiction before. I think I saw R. Scott Baker talking about this, but in a way that's more, perhaps more based in myth and meaning, while I feel like Zoo Warriors exhibits this more visually, you know, like we are seeing a presentation of the mythic, legendary, literary past, um, but it has all the zeal of uh, a futuristic effects movie. Yes. And I would say that it comes through in the like the relationship between the characters and their magical implements and spells, because uh, a lot of times in fantasy movies where there is magic, there's a kind of uh, a kind of reverence with which the magic is treated or a kind of old fashioned, uh, almost kind of high church mm -hmm. mentality in relation to it. Whereas in this movie, I feel like the magic and the magical instruments are treated much more like technology mm -hmm. in sci-fi movies is treated. Like uh, people have a very uh, just kind of like familiar instrumental relationship with their magical items and body parts and, uh, and, and powers and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Uh, another way to think about all of this is, you know, we've covered several films already on Weird House that come in the wake of 1977 Star Wars and attempt to cash in on its success. In this film, Hawk successfully does something similar. He takes inspiration from its effects, uh, from its visual storytelling, but translates all of that into something distinctly Chinese and also distinctly his own as a director. Hawk remains a huge name in Hong Kong cinema and continues to play an active part in some of the biggest Chinese film projects out there as a, both a director and as a producer. Now, a note on the source material here, I mentioned uh, like a 1932 novel. Uh, this would be Legend of the Swordsmen of the Mountains of Shu, and this is by Han Chu Lao Chu, uh, which I believe translates to Master of Returning Pearl Loft. Uh, this is an author that lived 1902 through 1961, and this work is considered one of the most influential of the wuxia fiction, and it's apparently the first uh, work of that genre translated into English. 
Uh, I've not read it, but there are translations available online, and it appears to be a very traditional adventure saga in many respects, but with lots of fascinating myth and magic woven into it. So I'm, I'm no expert on the genre, literary or, or cinematic, but I'd say that the text seems traditional, but yeah, also just full of the sort of magic that opens up the possibility for just wild visual interpretation. The screenwriter on the film is uh, Chuck Honzato, who was born in 1954, a Hong Kong screenwriter who's actually come up on the show before because he was a writer on 1985's Mr. Vampire. Ah. Yeah. So this is one of his earlier credited screenplays, but he started out really strong working on films directed by the likes of Hawk and John Woo. Um, I should also note that there is another screenwriter that is like an credited as being an uncredited writer on the film on both IMDb and the Hong Kong movie database, and that is Chung Yut-shu. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. 
Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, this film has a lot of actors in it. We're not going to touch on all of them, but hopefully um, we have some of the main actors lined up to uh, briefly discuss. There are a lot of characters. All right. So we have a master swordsman in this, Master Ting Yen. Ting Yen is played by Adam Ching, born 1947, Hong Kong actor whose credits go back to the late 60s. And he also seems to have had a solid pop music career going back to the mid-70s. His other films include 1983's Titanium Blade, 1993's The Legend, and 1994's Drunken Master 3. Uh, I looked him up on Discogs, as I usually do for anybody who has a, a, a pop music background, and I included a, a nice album cover here for you, Joe. Oh, yeah. He's wearing a leather jacket with wide lapels and a cowboy hat. He looks yep. super cool. <laughs> All right. Another character, we have the Countess, played by Bridget Lin. Uh, Lin was born 1954, iconic Taiwanese star of both uh, films, both in Taiwanese and Hong Kong cinema. Uh, her best known films include 1985's Police Story, starring Jackie Chan, 1994's uh, Chungking Express and Ashes of Time, 1993's The Bride with the White Hair, and Hawk's 1986 film Peking Opera Blues. We also have a monk. Uh, this is Abbott uh, Salyu played by Damien Lau, born 1949, Hong Kong actor whose credits include 1979's Last Hurrah for Chivalry, 1983's Duel to the Death, and 1992's Royal Tramp. Now, this next actor you've got here, Rob, I'm very excited to talk about because I made it all the way through my first <laughs> viewing of the movie without realizing that he had a second role in, in the film. He plays two characters. I had the same experience, I thought, because the, the actor is Sammo Kambo Hung, or Sammo Hung, as many of you are going to be familiar with him. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with any of these other actors, you, you probably know Sammo Hung uh, because, the, yeah, the rotund martial arts acting and stunt legend. Uh, but yeah, at my first viewing of the film, I was like, oh man, they introduce him as this uh, sort of side character. And then we don't see him again for the rest of the film's runtime. He just comes back again at the very end. And I'm like, that's not enough Samo. And then I found out, oh no, he was in it pretty much the whole time because he plays two characters. Right. So in the first 15 minutes or so of the movie, they're setting it up like the movie is going to be like sort of a buddy comedy adventure between our arguably our main character, uh, Di Ming-Chi, and this Red Army soldier played by Sammo Hung, who I don't know if we ever learned that character's real name, do we? Or is he called Chubby? Uh, he is referred to as Chubby, and I think he is often credited in English translation as Red Army Soldier. Okay. But yeah, the other character he plays is Cheng Mi, 
also known as Long Brows. Long Brows, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so he plays this one character who you think is going to be a major character in the movie and then disappears for most of the movie, but has an incredible payoff return in the last couple minutes. Uh, and then he shows up. We didn't realize it was the same actor, but he shows up as the wizard in the film who has... Uh, eyebrows that function like squid tentacles like they can yes. shoot out and grab hold of things and even uh graft onto other people's eyebrows and like yes. become part of their eyebrows yes we're not exaggerating uh <laughs> if anything we're underselling the weirdness of this but Sammo hung is fantastic in both of his roles oh yeah yeah he brings fabu- fabulous energy um yeah his work as a stunt coordinator goes back to the late 60s and his acting acting credits go back to the early 60s uh, and along with Hawk and, and other actors and directors, he's often credited as part of the overall Hong Kong new wave cinema movement of the 1970s. He was also very active as, as a producer for several decades. In fact, he was a producer on Mr. Vampire. We did mention him briefly uh, in that episode. He played a huge part in the surge of spooky Hong Kong films and Jiangxi hopping vampire movies, not only with the Mr. Vampire film and its sequels and imitators, but also Encounters of the Spooky Kind from 1980 and The Dead and the Deadly from 1983. Other films of note from Sammo include 73's Enter the Dragon. He's in there. Um, oh. 2010's uh, It Man 2 and 2004's Around the World in 80 Days. He's worked extensively with Jackie Chan, among other Hong Kong cinema legends. Now, a, another character that is a whole lot of fun in this movie is uh, Lee Aichi, the Ice Queen. Okay, so this character, I believe, appears in the second half where it's becoming harder to keep track of all the new plot developments. Mm -hmm. But is this the character who has retreated to the Heaven's Blade Mountain to be in solitude with the two legendary swords? Yes, and she has freezing powers. She has like sub-zero powers that are as magical uh, and convincing uh, as anything you'll see in a Mortal Kombat game or or movie, uh, but without the use of computer-generated effects. But anyway, she's played by Judy Ong, born 1950, Taiwanese-Japanese singer and actress who made her debut in the 1961 Japanese-U.S. production The Big Wave, based on the Pearl S. Buck novel. Uh, this is the film that launched her career, uh, but she wasn't really a wuxia star prior to this movie. Uh, she was more of like a romance, comedy, and drama star, uh, but this kind of pointed her in, in different directions, I think, at least for a little bit. I think she did some other wuxia films after this, but yeah, she has a great presence in this movie. She has like an elfin energy. And there's another character we meet uh, around the same time later in the film uh, who is sort of like an Atlas type figure, but he mm-hmm. is chained to a giant ball on the mountain peak. And this is this is the Heaven's Blade embodiment. Yes. Uh, he rolls around comically at times, too. Yes. Uh, yeah. Quite truly funny. Yes. That's um, another thing I just want to drive home about the movie, as, as we'll discuss. It's very funny, um, yeah. and, and intentionally so. But yeah, Heaven's Blade is played by Norman Chu, born 1955, Hong Kong actor and director known for 75's The Flying Guillotine, 1980's We're Going to Eat You, that's also Hawk, uh, 83's Duel to the Death, and 1988's The Dragon Family. He has something like 160 credits on the Hong Kong movie database. So at this point, you're probably thinking, oh, that's got to be all of the weird magical characters, right? No, I don't no. think we've even <laughs> talked about half of them yet. No, I'm leaving out like whole central characters. <laughs> I'm sure like I didn't even I didn't even credit the deserter um, yeah. uh, or the um, uh, the the monks, um, the, the abbot's assistant. They, these are also vital characters. But we these just, are like our two main heroes, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, 
And yeah, we when it comes to the antagonists of the film, we have our kind of big bads, which we'll get to, you know, our blood demon and whatnot. But we also have these sort of lesser uh, antagonists who would could easily be the big bad in any other wuxia film. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the devil disciple leader, which is a super fun character in this. Oh, yes. There's some great sorceress action scenes with this character. And both uh, both two different actors are credited as playing the role on both databases that I was looking at. One is Harkon Fung, who lived 1948 through 2016. And the other is Corey Yoon, born 1951, who we've talked about before on the show. I think maybe... Corey Yeun is playing the action parts, like is essentially the stunt actor here, but I'm not sure on that. Um, Corey Yoon had a bit part in The Oily Maniac and went on to uh, have a really impressive career, co-directed The Transporter for Western audiences. Uh, he did uh, 2006's DOA, Dead or Alive, along with some really big Hong Kong films. And he was the stunt coordinator on this movie. Hmm, okay. Fung, on the other hand, made a career out of playing bad guys, uh, he appears in such films as Police Story, Ip Man 2, and 2004's Kung Fu Hustle in a bit part. Uh, he's definitely the actor that we're looking at in, in most of the scenes where, we're, where we see the face of the Devil Disciple leader. He's the one who's like leading the uh, Devil Disciple church service, basically. Yeah. You know, like the call and response sections where he's like, what do we do to nice people? Kill. What do we do to people who help others? Kill. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a funny character too. Yeah, and, yeah. and but he but he gets to bust out some really cool like nightmare lightning effects that are uh, a whole lot of fun. Speaking of effects, yeah, this is a big effects movie. It's just wall to wall after a while, and it certainly involved multiple Hong Kong effects talents. But the film notably again makes use of Western effects specialists. Key here are Robert Blalock, who lived 1948 through 2022. Uh, Peter Curran, who's uh, interviewed on the disc, um, and then Chris Cassidy. Um, all three of these individuals, I believe, worked on the original Star Wars. And that's kind of like one of the main ends here. Like they were individuals who at the time were uh, had been involved in the biggest uh, groundbreaking special effects movies that Hollywood was producing. Mm -hmm. Blalock's uh, ad additional credits include the likes of Altered States and Wolfen. Um, Curran also had worked, uh, again on Star Wars, but also just tons of famous practical effects movies, such as Conan the Barbarian, uh, at least the first two Robocop films, Gremlins, Critters 2, John Carpenter's The Thing, and much more. Uh, Cassidy worked on the first two Star Wars movies, Tron, Freaked, Highlander 2, again, just oh. to name a few <laughs> selections. And so some of these, so I think most of them were more like consultants, um, from afar, but at least one of them was on set. I think maybe Chris Cassidy was on set, if I remember correctly. Uh, so it was, you know, a matter of consulting, but also someone being there to practically like show the Hong Kong team how to do some of these effects and to help them uh, pull it off uh, for this movie. Uh, this movie is truly a feast for the eyes. And I think everything about it looks wonderful, not just the special effects of the you know, animating the sorcery and, and having people like walk on ceilings and fly around and stuff. That stuff, I, I do love the way that looks, but everything looks great. I love the look of the 
the sets, uh, both like the real location shots and the the sets that use like models and interior sets and set design there of the temples and palaces and all of that. It's wonderful stuff. Uh, I love the costuming, uh, mm-hmm. especially like the costuming of the armies and uh, the the way that like the different colorful uniforms of the armies when they're clashing really enlivens what otherwise might be uh, some of the duller action scenes. Uh, it's just uh, it, it's a great movie to look at in every possible way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the effects are uh, I don't know if this makes any sense, but sometimes great effects are are utilized very well to enhance a scene that otherwise makes sense without those effects. But so many of the effect sequences in this film are just like reality is transformed. You know, it's like you're just completely in the matrix Um, (laughs) at any given moment, certainly for what felt like two thirds of the picture, but in a way that feels practical and grounded and you completely buy into. Yes, totally. Uh, Now, one thing we haven't talked about yet that people do bring up about this movie is the idea of uh, Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain being a major influence on Big Trouble in Little China by John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, once you've seen both films, you you see this connection. You can see that uh, the the heightened um, martial arts sorcery that you see in Big Trouble in Little China does feel inspired by this film. You know, like like this, this like Big Trouble in Little China is like a cocktail that combines um, several different like, different elements. And one of those elements is like the hard stuff from this picture. Um, it's it's kind of Zoo Warriors meets Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, in those extras on the Shout Factory disc, uh, Peter Curran mentions this a little bit. They they ask him, and it does seem like Carpenter and, and uh, company were inspired by the visionary effects and use of traditional Hong Kong stunts in this film. And it seems like they wanted to channel that energy in Big Trouble in Little China. And this may have included attempts to recruit some of the same stuntmen, according to Curran, or at least stuntmen with expertise in some of the traditional Hong Kong fight techniques. Like he mentioned specifically some of the wire stuff. I don't think uh, that that was necessarily an art form that people in the West were able to um, imitate at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but, but I don't know to what extent they fully pulled that off because you, you look at the credits and L.A.-born James Liu was the fight choreographer on Big Trouble, for instance. And uh, I think a lot of those guys that were stunt actors, you know, had sort of like L.A. connections. But, yeah, you, you, you still, you, you do see the possible influence of this film on Big Trouble's high magic and martial arts. Though, to my eyes, not in a way that feels at all like a ripoff or anything. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's a lot like the way Hawk himself took Hollywood's, Hollywood effect techniques and made them his own for this film. Uh, while John Carpenter and and his crew took the flavor of this kind of high wuxia action and used it in telling their own story. Yeah, I mean, the way that you can see a movie and you're not going to copy the movie, but it just sort of fills you with a kind of energy yeah. and you, you want to take that energy and make your own version. Uh, and so I think a lot of filmmakers, you know, I don't know, they saw Star Wars and it filled them with that kind of energy and they wanted to go make their own thing. And I can totally see Zoo Warriors having that same kind of effect on people. It has just such an infectious, exuberant sense of joy in storytelling and filmmaking. Uh, it's hard to imagine being a director in the 80s and seeing a movie like this and not just feeling like pumped up to go make your own, you know, to take that feeling and go make something yourself. Yeah. 
All right. And then one more note I'll just mention really quickly here that the music is credited to Kwan Sing Yao, who lived 1944 through 2011, uh, Asia television musical director with only a handful of credits. But I like the music in this film. Uh, there's one oh, yeah. ditty that plays over and over again on the Blu-ray menu that I kept coming back to. And it's it's nice and sweeping and epic. Oh, yeah. I really like the music in it, too, uh, all throughout. I, I did notice there's one part in it that either just is or sounds like Night on Bald Mountain. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Now that you mention it, I do remember that. I don't know if that was just a incorporation of Night on Bald Mountain into the score or if it was uh, something that was just kind of inspired by and similar to it. I didn't pay close enough attention, but it brings that kind of feeling of just like the demons are gathering <laughs> on the mountaintop <laughs> and looking down on the, the, the civilization uh, and they are ready to strike. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Now, before we dive here into the story, I also want to mention really quickly, they didn't include the, um, uh, like all of the, the questions uh, that went along with the responses, 
But Peter Karan on the, uh, the the interview segments on the Shout Factory disc stresses three or four times that the, this movie does have a story <laughs> and points out that, like, you might not catch it on your first viewing of the film, but it's there uh, and it's really good. He had a lot of great things to say about the production, uh, but I did find it funny that he stressed a few different times that there is a story. There's a story here. It's not just wall-to-wall, um, eye-melting special effects. This is a good uh, disclaimer to insert at the beginning of the, the place where we would normally do a, a full plot breakdown. Um, so if you've seen this movie, you will understand trying to do a detailed plot recap may indeed drive a person mad. Curran is right. It's not because the movie doesn't have a story. It does. It's just that the movie is so thick with nonstop plot developments and strange things that you would want to make note of if you were making notes normally on a, on a, the plot of a movie. It's really almost impossible to keep up. So I was watching it initially trying to make pretty detailed notes. At a certain point, I just started getting t- overwhelmed. I had to step back. <laughs> um, and so part of what makes this movie so pleasing is the same thing that makes it difficult to recap, that sort of relentless, enthusiastic drive of the story toward new characters, strange new details and events and so forth. Uh, so that is absolutely not a criticism of it. That is one of the things that's most wonderful about the film. Uh, but I think what this means is my notes about the plot are going to have to be more detailed early on. And at a, and at a certain point, we're going to have to step back a bit and, and give a more zoomed out summary and maybe just focus on some individual things after that point that, that we want to talk about. But I do want to set the scene in detail. So uh, after the first of all, after the uh, beautiful Golden Harvest production pre-roll, which, mm-hmm. you know, it feels so good to see. We get an opening voiceover narration. It, it plays as the camera zooms through a model landscape of jagged, narrow mountain peaks and bottomless canyons with lonely, scrubby trees clinging to the rocks, and everything is just wrapped in a cloak of fog. And the narrator says, Mount Shu was the collective name for the mountain chain in ancient Shu in western China. It is also the Sichuan of today. Mount Shu was of great military and strategic importance in ancient China. As such, it was constantly in a state of war, regardless of reign and dynasty. But in Chinese legends and folklore, Mount Shu was also a place of mystique, for it harbored numerously exotic peaks and old temples from which many legends were born. This was where our story began. Then we see a sky boiling with columns of milky gray smoke, and we get some Hanzi flying out of the smoke. It's sort of like like these characters flying out of the, the smoke like spaceships, and the characters are Shu and Mountain. And then there's the full title, Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. Wonderfully dramatic credits, uh, and they, again, they're they're set to this orchestral music that sounds like Night on Bald Mountain. Uh, so it's it's like got your your adrenaline is pumping. Post credits, we see a sunrise half obscured by low clouds over the seascape of breaking waves. 
And the narration goes on. It says, It was in the 5th century. China has been suffering from decades of civil wars and unrest. And then we see soldiers mounted on horseback, galloping in formation across dunes of sand at the beach. And further further out on the shore, there are foot soldiers who are assembled in rows with pole arms and banners flapping in the wind. And an officer on horseback, one of the two commanders of the, the army gathered on the beach, says, Get me the scout immediately. So we get a big entrance for the scout, and the scout is one of our heroes, Di Ming-Chi. Uh, and we see him coming in doing horseback riding tricks. I'm not sure why he's doing them, but they're great. Uh, so he's like doing wire foo essentially as he is just like coming to the generals to make a report. And he does a leaping somersault off of his horse to to address the commanders. Now, this actor is Bao Yun, uh, who was born in 1957, and his other films include The Prodigal Son from 81, Shanghai Noon from 2000. I think he just has a small part in that. Um, uh, Writing Wrongs from 86, and Project A from 1983. It's an ensemble story in the end, but he is, I think, the closest thing to a single protagonist the story has. He's, he's our good-hearted youngster who is constantly exhorting the distractible other characters to, to like, shape up and, and try to do something good to make a difference in the world. Yeah, and we can we can relate to him. You know, this is not a guy who knows a bunch of crazy magic, uh, or at least not yet. He can do some riding tricks, though. Yes. So the scout, the two commanders, and the troops on the beach, they all have blue uniforms and blue flags. So these are representatives of the blue army. They make it pretty easy to follow the politics (laughs) here because each army is color-coded. There are at least two other forces we learn about here. Uh, The Red Army, and not not that Red Army, just a 5th century army with red uniforms, and also the Yellow Army. So when Di Ming-Chi arrives before the officers, they, they demand to know what he has learned of the position of the Yellow Army. And he says they have been routed in battle, and the surviving remnants of the Yellow troops are hiding down at Sanzang Creek. And so the left commander of the Blue Army says, that's wonderful, we will attack by water and finish them off. But the scout says, well, they're, they're already wounded and disorganized. And if the Blue Army attacks Sanzang Creek, the civilians living in, uh, around the creek will be harmed. And then the commander on the right says, then we will go after them on land. The left commander says, the land route meanders and is too dangerous. Deeming Chi, lead the attack by water. The right commander says, no, the waters take too long and will give the enemy an opportunity to retreat. Lead the attack by land. So the left commander and the right commander argue back and forth, and instead of coming to an agreement between themselves, they each give Di Ming-Chi contradictory orders and threaten to kill him if he does not obey. (laughs) Uh, I didn't realize upon first viewing, but this is really going to be in keeping with one of the themes that that carries throughout the movie is the sort of like uh, the, the fractiousness and bickering that prevents useful things from happening. Yeah, and it's it's ultimately it's a great way to start the film because again we have the the absurdity of these these brightly colored armies. Like you, if you haven't seen it, you might be wondering how yellow, how red. I just Power Rangers. Yeah, um, <laughs> think think of that. Like that's that's it's, it's a ridiculous level of of color coordination here. And then you know to be put in this absurd scenario. Um, yeah, I mean the, the the real world is is goofy and frustrating and. Um, uh, and, and it's in a way we see more sense in the world of magical fantasy. That's right. So 
He first tries to say that he will follow both orders. Uh, They say this is insubordination and he must die. Then he says he will follow neither order. Uh, They also say this is is even worse insubordination, and they order their troops to kill him. And a fight breaks out. So all of the soldiers are trying to kill Di Ming-Chi. And it leads to this thrilling chase scene. He manages to fight off a a, a bunch of armed infantry with spears. Uh, Then he leaps over the cavalry to escape on horseback. Eventually, he jumps from his horse and hides in the tall grass uh, until he, he, so he like crawls away through the grass and he comes across a fishing boat piloted by a whimsical old man. And here he meets the Red Army soldier, a.k.a. Chubby, played by Sammo Hung. Uh, and they start to fight for control of the boat. So, like, he he orders the old man to, you know, take him away to safety, but this Red Army soldier, who I think is also a deserter from his army, mm-hmm. um, he's got a he's got a sword at the the uh, boat pilot's back, and uh, and he's like, no, this is my boat. Go find your own boat. <laughs> uh, so they they initially start fighting. Uh, they, you know, one of them says, your army killed four generations of my ancestors. And the other one says, well, your army killed five generations of mine. And they, they attack and attack and attack until the yellow army shows up and starts firing arrows at both of them. And they have to escape uh, by diving into the water. It's, a, it's an hilarious sequence, though, uh, like it, but also deceptive, because at this point yeah. in the film, you're like, I can follow this. This, this, this is going to be sensible. It's nice. It's color coded. Nothing could possibly confuse me. That feeling will not last. Right. So uh, later, after swimming away to escape, we catch up with uh, the Red Army soldier and Di Ming Chi, and they're camping together on a rocky shore. They're still wary of one another. And at one moment, uh, Red Army soldier raises his sword, but it is only to tell Di Ming Chi that he should not worry because he's tired of fighting. He wipes his sword on the bottom of his boot and leaves camp on his own. Only Di Ming Chi notices that Sammo Hung has left his water gourd behind. So Di Ming Chi picks it up and runs after him to give it back to him. But, uh, Samo Hung gets spooked and thinks Teeming Chi is coming to kill him. He's like, oh, I don't want to fight. And they, <laughs> he runs, he tries to flee until he finally realizes what has happened. And uh, they sort of have a laugh over it. And Deeming Chi tells him, you are so big, but such a timid cat. And uh, the Red Army soldier says, hey, we just met. I didn't know if you're a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> this theme will come back also. But they they sort of become fast friends. Like they discover that they grew up in neighboring villages and they lament that they've been sucked into these wars where neighbors are forced to kill each other for no discernible reason. But while they're in the middle of bonding like this, suddenly they're, they're caught in the middle of a battlefield. The green army and the orange army, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, appear over the hillsides to fight one another. And they're both trying to fight Deeming Chi and Sammo Hung. Yeah, more combat hilarity ensues. And we get, even though we're going to have like blistering magical martial martial arts later on in the picture, uh, the martial arts sequences here are still just amazing and and, Great. and, and so fast and well executed, uh, a real joy to watch. And really funny, like they're trying mm-hmm. to they're trying to pretend to fight one another to blend in. But uh, Sammo Hung is like, hey, don't fight so hard. Take it easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and they the, play dead for a little bit. But then there are yeah. other enemy soldiers that are trying to do the same thing. And they're like, yes. hey, what, you guys are playing dead, too. And then they all jump up and fight each other some more. Yeah. 
so they end up escaping once again, pursued by multiple armies. They get backed up against a cliff, and they've got this great bond of friendship now. Uh, Deeming Chi is accidentally pushed off the cliff, but survives by clinging to vines on the way down. And the Red Army soldier is caught. Samo Hung gets a sword to his neck, and we don't know what happens to him next. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So now on his own once again, Deeming Chi, he's, he's down on the beach below. And he wanders around and stumbles into a hidden cave just as a storm is breaking out. And the cave has a temple inside. It's got these old statues and it seems disused or maybe forgotten for many, many years. And he makes camp inside the temple. But he's not alone. There is murmuring coming from these giant vessels in the temple. And in the darkness, there are lids that pop off to reveal some kind of entity. I've seen these described on the internet as vampires. I don't know what the 
the cue that they're vampires is, but they are, they're great. They're some kind of monster that's like a uh, flying martial arts ghost Jawa with crystal blue eyes. Yeah, I got a sense. I thought of them as kind of like shadow ghosts, you know, some sort of a shade. I mentioned Jawa because they've got they're wearing these like robes with hoods, uh, but their faces are almost kind of mummy like. They're they're sort of covered in uh, in strips of of fabric, like they're wrapped or something. And they yeah they, they have these glowing crystal blue eyes, the the hoods on, and they fly fly around and attack with magic. They can like send vines out to attack Demon Chi and stuff. And just when Deeming Chi thinks he is done for, suddenly he is saved. A blazing figure dressed in white robes enters the fracas and beats up the ghosts. And this new figure seems to have all kinds of powers. Uh, so he can fly. He can he can act at super speed. He has telekinesis. He can order his swords to fly out of their scabbards on his back and zoom through the air at a target by shouting, Unsheathe! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is the point in the film where the action um, escalates uh, by uh, like a thousandfold because suddenly we have like magical effects on both sides of any given battle. So this new figure manages to sort of deactivate all of the the ghosts or the, the vampires, whatever they are, the the flying Jawas, and Deeming Chi chases after the hero who saved him. And we learn that this is Master Ding Yan, a, a man dressed in white robes. He's wearing the black hat, I think, of a scholar, like he's supposed to be mm-hmm. dressed as a scholar. He's got the two swords on his back, so he's like a wandering master swordsman scholar. And Deeming Chi kneels at the at the feet of uh, of the master and says, My savior, please don't go so soon. Uh, he explains, he's like, surely you must know that the world is plagued with war and destruction. With your great martial arts and abilities, you can put a stop to all this mayhem. So Deeming Chi is like, finally, it's, you know, it, the world is, is all messed up. It doesn't make sense. But here's a guy, here's a hero who does good, and he has the power to fix it. So y- you can fix it. Will, will you fix it? He says, wars and unrest are perpetual through the history of man, quote, but the troubles were all caused by men who kill each other and have no respect for human lives whatsoever. There's nothing we can change. You should go into seclusion in the mountains while you can still tell right from wrong. So Ding Yan firmly refuses the call. He's like, there's nothing we can do to make the world better. It's not going to change. Just give up. Go try to hide and survive. But Deeming Chi is not convinced. He says to the master, please do not give up. Uh, if everyone can give their best, peace will come. And by the way, while they're talking here, like wind is howling around them. There's lightning striking in the distance. And there still seems to be like an aura of evil magic in the air. It's not like everything is fine now. And so Ding Yan says, oh, so you're lecturing me now? I'm afraid this is uh, just not your time. If you do not leave now, you will become one of them, referring to the the Jawa things. And now they look like uh, they're sort of tangled up in vines now, and they look very scarecrow-like, just these mm-hmm. ghastly bodies wrapped up in vines like insects in a spider's web. And the master disappears, but Deeming Chi, he, he keeps holding out hope. He runs around looking for him and shouting, hero! 
and he uh, chases out onto this this beautifully gloomy landscape with a pathway leading into a shallow canyon between masses of what look like jagged volcanic rocks. And everything is covered in green moss. The sky is overcast. It sort of reminds me of some places in Iceland. It's just like a very beautiful location. And we can hear Deeming Chi's inner monologue in which he says, all legendary heroes come and go in mysterious ways. He's testing me now. Fine, I'll wait for him here. So uh, Deeming Chi sits on a rock and waits, and we see the moon rise behind the clouds in the gray sky. But at night, signs of evil return. There are red lights flashing through the air, uh, sort of like fiery spirits on the breeze. And Deeming Chi stumbles into a cavern where the floor is littered with human skulls. And uh, he does indeed here run into the wandering hero once again. So uh, Ding Yan says uh, he believes it is foolish that uh, Deeming Chi waited for him. He says, if you stay around here, hell is waiting for you. And Deeming Chi asks if the skulls on the floor mean this place was once a battlefield. But Master, Master Ding Yan says, no, all the skulls here bear the sign of the evil disciples. So he explains that these are the bones of virgins sacrificed so that the evil disciples could develop their magic. And at first, Di Ming-Chi expresses relief that he himself is a virgin. But Master Ding Yan says, uh, no, it doesn't matter if you are or not. The evil disciples will kill you either way. <laughs> um, so Di Ming-Chi says at this point, he's like, I want to be your student, Ding Yan. Uh, you know, let me, you, you be my master. Teach me to have powers like you. And Ding Yan tries to refuse this. He says he works alone. He doesn't take students. Uh, but the young scout is very persistent. And they argue until they are suddenly attacked by blood crows. These are red and white sort of fiery birds that fly out fly out of the sky and attack them. And Deeming Chi tries to fight them off with his sword, but they melt his sword. Yeah, these are like, I thought of them as like kind of laser birds. So Ding Yan does come back once again. He reappears to fight the blood crows. Uh, but suddenly, while they're in the middle of fighting these monsters, the blood crows are shattered in midair by what looks like a flying circular saw blade, huh? <laughs> well, the circular blade was thrown by a new character whom we see standing nearby on a rocky promontory framed by a gigantic moon in the background. And here we are about to meet a couple of other major characters that will be with us for the rest of the movie. A powerful Buddhist monk from Kunlun named uh, Xiao uh, Yu, played by Damien Lau, and his young apprentice, Yi Zhen, played by Mang Hoi. Uh, their introduction is extremely cool. They also possess powers of airborne sorcery and wear what they they're wearing what look like hats made out of pumpkin hemispheres like if you cut a pumpkin in half horizontally hollowed it out and put it on your head uh i i love these hats yeah yeah they got some some great fashion going on here and yeah all sorts of crazy additional magical martial arts powers are added into the mix now right so when we first see them flying the saw blade frisbees they throw seem to like lock on the tops of their pumpkin hats to form a thrust engine that works like helicopter blades, except it's like this solid sharp edge disc. This connects, by the way, one of the many examples of magic that feels like technology in this yeah. movie. Yeah. But when Deeming Chi first sees these guys, he's like, he doesn't know that they're 
friends yet. He's like, oh, no, devils. But uh, Ding Yan says, no, no, they are the good guys. <laughs> so the two monks, they can also, oh, man, another thing they do I'd forgotten about until I was looking at this a second time. They can sort of lock onto one another and form a sort of like two monk mech thing. <laughs> and they glide across the ground like a vehicle with treads. But it's the monk sort of riding the apprentice as he glides. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Rob, maybe you can help me with if you know any more about the backstory than I caught. It seems Ding Yan and the monk Xiao Yu know one another somehow. I think they say they haven't met in 10 years, but the monk has been summoned here by someone they both know. This would be uh, Cheng Mei or Longbrows to help face a great evil. Uh, Did you understand that both he and Ding Yan were summoned here for the same purpose by Longbrows? That was that was the sense I got of it. Yeah, is that okay. they were they were both summoned here to deal with this problem. But they, you know, it's like they're different. Uh, they represent different um, pursuits, so they uh, they, uh, they they rub each other the wrong way. That's right. So exactly, Ding Yan says, uh, "Hey, we should join forces." But uh, Xiao Yu scoffs at this. He says, "Monks are merciful and liberate people, yet the blood devil has become rampant." And uh, and the monk says he's been searching for disciples of the blood devil for three years. They finally tracked them here. And the monk says, "You go your way. I'll go mine." And then they both uh, in unit. In fact. Uh, there are many times in this movie where characters say things in unison at each other. And this case is one of those where uh, the scholar and the monk yell at each other, stay out of my affairs. And again, this, this uh, touches on this theme of failure to unify or focus in the face of a problem, just endless, pointless fractiousness and digression. Yeah, it's almost uh, like Susian at times, you know, it's yeah. uh, uh, there's this, this this energy of of absurdity throughout the entire film. I love it. I was actually wondering if uh, I I don't know for sure, but this felt like something bigger than just these two characters in the movie. I was wondering if this might be a version of some kind of uh, conflict between cultural archetypes as understood in Chinese storytelling. Uh, closest analogy I could come up with was like jocks versus nerds. Uh, but this would be like the scholar versus the monk. It seems like it's not just that these two characters dislike one another and bicker, but they sort of have a framing of one another as the type of character they are. Like the monk, I think, calls the swordsman bookworm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the monk is the impetuous man. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about that, Rob, if like scholar versus monk is a thing. Well, I, I'm, it might be something particular to the novel that I'm, I'm not familiar with. But I mean, also in general, I guess you're dealing with essentially a secular versus spiritual kind of a um, rivalry here. And then also, I mean, there are you know, plenty of there are different periods in, in Chinese history where you might see the persecution of, say, Buddhist monks. You might see the persecution of scholars. Um, it just depends on, on what particular uh, time and place you're looking at. So mm. um, I don't know, it might be just something more general, like, you know, one is more secular and one is more spiritual. Mm. But they, they both can do magical things. Though, yes. So. <laughs> they have kind of similar powers. Uh, and despite their bickering, all four of them decide to go into the nearby temple to investigate the source of the wicked magic that lingers on the mountainside. Uh, and as they enter, Deeming Chi gets more chances to marvel at the powers of his new, 
I don't know, allies or uncooperative allies. Uh, Mm -hmm. They can not only fly, but they can run on the ceiling as if it were the floor. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they continue bickering once they get into the temple. But, uh uh-oh, here comes some magic. Uh, A few things to mention. First of all, I love this temple set. There is like a giant... uh, statue of a figure i don't i don't know if this is understood to be a specific person I, it's not a buddha it's uh, some kind of i don't know emperor looking sort of figure uh yeah I, they don't really establish who this is uh, you know it could have been uh, a mythical emperor it could be some other chinese immortal of note uh but it is very impressive and then the evil disciples pop out they say oh. the <laughs> oh i love them they come out with these flags kind of like the soldiers all have their flags mm-hmm. this is like a new faction almost but they're uh, not colorful like the soldiers the these are in a very cold black and white uh uniform and they have black and white flags and they say the devil's protector welcomes you but then they also say who are you how dare you come here and uh, looking on from the rafters, Di Ming-Chi asks uh, Yi Jin, the, the apprentice of the monk, he says, who are they? And Yi Jin says, they're the bad guys. Like, <laughs> didn't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, I just, I love their style. Like, these guys are just absolute wuxia evil. Uh, you know, they have uh, some sort of um, uh, trishula or trident emblem that is on their all of their foreheads and on their iconography the same emblem that's carved into the skulls of the dead virgins um and you know, like the, the leader of the the devil crew here is just fabulous and he has he has like some sort of nightmare lightning effects that he's using against his adversaries uh so evil so glorious yeah, so Ding Yan explains that they're here to punish the devil <laughs> and the leader of the evil disciples. This is the part where he does that like call and response chant where he's like, we kill those who punish the devil. And then all of the disciples yell, kill, kill. <laughs> he says, we kill those who are righteous, kill. We kill those who liberate lives, kill. And they do that with a few other things. And then Deeming Chi wonders, who do they not kill? And he explains, <laughs> the blood demon rep says, those who obey, we spare. <laughs> but the monk says, you know, there's no sense talking to these guys. They're not going to be talked out of being evil disciples. A fight is inevitable. Uh, and who, boy, is it ever. So begin now one of the wildest battle scenes I've ever seen. So the battle with the evil disciples is absolutely nuts. There is monk telekinesis of giant bells hanging in the temple, like flinging them with blue waves of force projection magic. There's a lot more walking on the ceiling, barfing jets of flame. There are some parts of this fight that have themes of pinball with the demons like bouncing repeatedly as if against bumpers in a pinball machine. Um, they use the flying circular saws some more. They also use the flying circular saws as a vehicle, like as a surfboard for Deeming Chi to ride on. Uh, there's lightning coming out of everything. There's one part where the monk wields a giant flaming pillar as a club. And this is like a, you know, not like club size. It's a pillar that would be way too big for a person to actually hold. There's fire versus water magic. There's demon lightning backpacks blasting against a flying sentient sword that Ding Yan sends out. It's just everything. It's 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 nuts. <laughs> yeah, and 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 we're not even well. We're not even halfway through the film at this point. Like when we're already just having fight sequences just so blistering that uh, they would be the the climax of many another film. 
Right. So at the end, it seems our heroes must retreat. They're sort of driven out of the temple. Uh, Deeming Chi is apologizing for it. I think he's, I, I don't fully recall exactly what the issue was, but it seems like it's sort of his fault that they have to escape the temple like he was in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and afterwards, the bickering starts up once again. The uh, Ding Yan and uh, Xiao Yu, they're arguing about whose fault it was. And Xiao Yu says, uh, seeing you is never a blessing. May we never meet again. <laughs> um, and they say that they sort of hate each other. They're going to go separate ways. And uh, despite the fact that the... The masters here hate each other. The two young pupils seem to bond a bit. Like Yi Jin says to Di Ming Chi, uh, take care, soldier boy. See you around. <laughs> you know, he seems nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, they're like two siblings uh, with bickering parents here. Yeah. So they go their separate ways. And then also Master Ding tries to leave Di Ming Chi behind once again. So he's alone on this cursed mountain and Di Ming Chi is wandering around calling out to his master in the wind saying, what's the use of having all this power if you won't use it to protect people? You're a coward. No wonder evil is rampant. And uh, D says that uh, he sort of resolves. He says he'll fight the evil on his own if he has to. Then, suddenly, all three of the flying warriors return to the side of Di Ming Chi at once. Uh, at first, he seems kind of happy, like, oh, did they come back? Are we going to work together to fight evil now? But <laughs> it seems they were maybe driven back. Uh, because, you know, the rocks start erupting with rivers of blood, and then the blood geysers all begin to intertwine and weave into a giant bodily form. So that's probably not good. And uh, I love the design of the monster that we see birthed here because you might expect it's going to be a giant towering, you know, blood fountain type of monster. But instead, all of the stuff that the blood geysers spit out sort of comes together to form fabric. It becomes a loose sail or sheet floating on the wind. And then the sheet coalesces around an invisible form, kind of like a ghost covered in, you know, classic ghost costume, Mm -hmm. a body covered in a sheet, but bathed in red light. And it is so cursed and looks so wrong. And I love it. Yeah, this was not what I was expecting either, but it's tremendous. I mean, on one level, this is another effect that it does make me think about the fact that we're watching these movies in higher quality than perhaps was intended. There are some moments earlier in the film where we, you know, we see the wires a little bit more than I'm, I'm assuming you would have been able to see on the screen. So mm-hmm. I feel like we also have to keep that kind of thing in mind, but it's just, it, but this creature just looks bonkers. You know, it is like it's blood, but it of course is clearly fabric. Um, but it's blood made fabric. It just, it exists in its own reality. I love it. I love this monster. Also, it commandeers all of their weapons. So it's like biting Master Ding's sword Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and the monk's circular blades. It's got those in its hands. And then those things catch on fire and melt. And there's more sorcery fighting. Uh, Like our our allies try to use magic weapons against the ghost. uh, But it, it sort of like absorbs the weapons and takes control of them. They are clearly outmatched. And they make a tactical retreat. And somehow in this fight, the monk seems to have been injured, not just physically, but magically. An enchanted illness now grips him. And Ding Yan, uh, this is where he does the I transfer energy into you scene. This happens several times in the movie where he has to save somebody who's been sort of grazed by evil magic by transferring energy into them. Yeah, this is this is the the less extreme version, right? This is the yeah. the non-Cronenberg. Uh, 
sequence in which he uh, transfers energy. But the monk doesn't want energy transferred into him. So he's like, the monk is is like, oh, okay, I've got the illness now. Um, and he tries to, like, bash his own head into rocks, I guess, to destroy himself, to mm-hmm. stop the evil from taking hold. But uh, Ding Yan is like, no, I will save you. Uh, and he's, like, gripping him, and he's, I don't know, sending magic into his body. And then Yi Jin is being given contradictory orders, just like Deeming Chi was by his uh, commanders early on. Like, Ding Yan is saying, like, go away, you know, stand guard while I save him. And the monk is saying, like, stop him right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so that's happening. So the young pupils are sent out to guard the mountain pass while Ding Yan saves the monk's life. Deeming Chi here is, uh, somehow he ends up on his own, and he is confronted by the blood demon once again. He tries to stand up to it for a moment, but then he gets afraid. He runs away in terror, and then he, this is so weird, he starts throwing rocks at the monster, but somehow one of these rocks, as he throws it, transforms into a human body, and it's the body of a wizard dressed in white robes, and the wizard temporarily drives off the monster and then deeming chi is like what's going on and he like goes up to a hole in a rock on the like cliff face of the mountain and then white hairs shoot out of the hole and graft onto his eyebrows and become part of his eyebrows and he's like what's going on and then the rock that has these like white hair strands coming out of it says i'm chang mei founder of the ame school <laughs> and some like D somehow pulls him out of the rock. This is Cheng Mei, Long Brows, our sagacious old wizard, played by Sam Hung. He's in a white robe with a hood. He's got a long mustache and beard, long gray-white eyebrows, and the eyebrows are like prehensile. They're like tentacles. They can yeah. grab hold of things, and they're they're grafting on to Deeming Chi's face. Uh, and meanwhile, while this is happening, D is like, are you a good guy? And he says, of course, bad guys don't wear white like this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The theme just carries on through the whole film. So what is going on with his beard being stuck on Deeming Chi? I don't know. In general, though, I think, you know, like the basic idea is that he's old and wise. And it's kind of like the, the, the idea of like some of these mythical Chinese immortals that we've discussed in the show before, where some of the attributes of old age become transformative and like take on a, the, the, the nature of superpower. So like, mm. yeah, old guys, uh, their their eyebrows grow, grow out, become bushy and long. And so for a powerful wizard like this, of course that is an advantage. Of course that is a, in itself a power that he's able to exploit to fight evil. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. 
Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So the blood demon appears again in the form of Yu the monk and then says, the so-called righteous people are vulnerable to my attack. I have wounded this monk. The venom will reach his heart in 10 days. Then I will possess him. You can't defeat the devil. Uh, and he looks very evil with like, you know, pink light behind him. But Longbrows is crafty. He intervenes and he launches his eyebrow tentacles out at the demon and ensnares the demon. And we see it like the demon's trying to fly away and it's in the form of this like glowing orange coal up in the sky. But the eyebrows have it. The eyebrows grab it and pull it down. And then the glowing red coal of the demon, which the wizard says is its soul, assembles a body made of virgin skulls around itself, becoming a kind of skull asteroid floating in the air, tethered by Chang Mei's eyebrows. Yeah. And this is easily the, a point in the picture where you might wonder if you just lost your mind entirely. But uh, uh-huh. but no, you're like, we're only 10 minutes into the film at this point. <laughs> Not 10. We're like 30 <laughs> minutes in here. Uh, but uh, so eventually the blood demon comes down, takes root as this formation that looks kind of like a vertical reef made of skulls Mm -hmm. with little windows that show it glowing pink inside. And then eventually hundreds of horns come and stick out of the little windows. And Chang Mei uh, manages to subdue the, this form of the blood demon with a combination of his eyebrows and a magical sky mirror. But the wizard says that even the sky mirror cannot destroy it. And here this far into the movie, I think we finally sort of get our main quest of the story assigned. Yes. So Longbrows says that he will be able to contain the demon for exactly 49 days. But after that, when the Big Dipper begins to shift, 
the Sky Mirror will lose its power, and at that point, it will be up to Deeming Chi to take over. And Dee says, me? The wizard says, the young inherit the earth. Uh, but Cheng Mei says, hey, don't worry, there are magical weapons you can use to accomplish this. There are two sacred swords of Aime. One is purple and one is green. Yi Chi took them 18 years ago, uh, took them to practice in solitude on a mountaintop. They can destroy the Blood Devil once and for all. Lee has them up on Blade Peak. D, you've got to go there and get the swords at once. And Cheng Mei finally says, if this aggression is complete, the Blood Devil will be unstoppable. Bam, we have our core quest here. What are we trying to do? We got to get the two swords so we can defeat this blood demon threat that is held temporarily in check by a wizard's eyebrows. That's right. Uh, and, the, and the sky mirror. And the sky mirror, yes. Yes. Uh, so I think this is the point where maybe it's better to zoom out and discuss the rest of the plot in broader strokes. Because, again, it would, take, it would be impossible to try to keep up this level of detail. So one major diversion that happens after this sort of quest has been assigned uh, and I guess the first thing that happens after this is the journey to the Heavenly Fortress to cure the curse of the Blood Devil, which actually happens multiple times. Yeah. Uh, but you recall that the monk is cursed, like uh, he, his skin turns silver, and if the venom reaches his heart in 10 days, he will die. Uh, first thing he tries to do, the, the monk tries to do, is transfer control of his brotherhood to his apprentice, Yi Jin, and then kill himself by ramming his head into a rock. Uh, but his allies prevent him from doing this. So eventually he is taken to the Heavenly Fortress to be cured by the magical Countess there. Oh, before we get that, should we talk about the fish scene with Yi Jin? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Super goofy, but also genuinely funny. Oh, yeah, because the, the monks here are vegetarians, and there are several yes. jokes <laughs> made at their expense about this. Um, uh, especially with our younger monk here, it is, um, yeah, we, we're, we're, we're to learn that, yes, he is a vegetarian, but he desperately wants to eat fish meat, uh, yes. as anyone who looks at a live fish will do, apparently. <laughs> he really wants fish. Uh, Deeming Chi catches a fish, grills it, he's eating it, and, uh, and Yi Jin is looking at it, and he's like, want a bite? And uh, I think he's in the middle of, maybe he's about to eat some, uh, when they get attacked by a, by a figure that looks like Ding Yan, but it's not him. It's like the blood devil in disguise. The blood devil keeps attacking them while they're on the road in disguise, mm -hmm. taking on the form of others. Here it's Master Ding. Uh, after that, it attacks them in the form of this uh, intimidating witch dressed all in red and her head comes off mm -hmm. and they're, they're like, what's going on there? Uh, so eventually they, they fight off the blood devil in this attack. Um, but then <laughs> Master Ding comes up to Yi Jin and he's like, you know, why is your robe smoking? And it's because <laughs> he has the grilled fish hidden in there and he has clearly eaten much of its flesh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he tries to say, I was going to set it free and be merciful, but it's like a fully, fully eaten dead fish. Yeah, like cartoon level of like the fish bones and the fish head. It's, it's great. Later, there are scenes at the Heavenly Fortress. Uh, I want to say all of the sets in this movie are awesome, but mm -hmm. these are particularly gorgeous. Oh, yeah. This, this whole, this main set for the Heavenly Fortress is just amazing to behold. Like the statues uh, that are, you know, important set pieces in some of the, the fights that ensue. Uh, tremendous. There's these three elephants that end up being moved around a lot. It's great. 
in like a romantic fight scene between Ding Yan and the Countess. They're like riding these elephants around like bumper cars. Yeah, yeah. The romantic fight scene is uh, is, is a key trope, I think, in a lot of these uh, Hong Kong action films. So anyway, the Heavenly Fortress is controlled by a mystical countess who is protected by a large uh, retinue of female bodyguards. And the servants here at the castle tell our heroes that they cannot help the monk. Only the countess can heal him, but she cannot be disturbed in her seclusion. She will only come out to heal him, heal the monk if it is her destiny or if it is his destiny. I guess it would be both of their destinies. Um, and there's some kind of thing I didn't fully understand where there's like a sacred flame in a brazier. And if the, the, like the flame, if it continues burning, this has something to do with the timing of when the countess will come out and Ding Yan tries to keep the thing burning. It's like an ice flame. Ding Yan says, even if it saps my energy, I will keep it burning. Uh, but the, the head of the servant says everything is governed by destiny until the doors behind which the countess is hiding open. And then we get some more magical tentacles instead of eyebrow tentacles. This time it's scarf tentacles. Like, so the countess has a scarf that flies out and like ensnares people with magic. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are a lot of flying scarves in this sequence. The countess is extremely cool. Uh, so Yishin and Deeming Chi are first, at first terrified because they see her and they're like, Hey, that's the witch that attacked us at the river. But of course we know it was not her. It was the blood devil stealing her form, but still the young guys, they don't know any better. They're like, she's a witch. And a fight <laughs> breaks out. Uh, there, a bunch of weird stuff happens here. At one point, the countess gives Ding Yen bubble wrap hands. <laughs> um, yeah, it does kind of look like bubble, bubble wrap <laughs> in this sequence. I think it's ice. Yeah. Yeah. The ice effect looks the practical ice effect does look a lot better in some of the subsequent scenes, but um, mm-hmm. it, maybe it was a tiny bit lacking, at least in this film quality um, at this point. I'm not complaining. I love the bubble wrap hands. Yeah, uh, but but I just want to stress, it looks less, far less like bubble wrap in subsequent scenes. Right, because she also ends up freezing, uh, I think, Yijin and uh, like sort of ice skating across the room on him. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ice magic that goes on. Yeah. Also in the fight, this is the part where Deeming Chi gets magically wounded and here Ding Yan must once again transfer energy into him to save his life. But in this version, he's like inflating Deeming Chi like a balloon with magic. So he makes like parts of his body puff up and poke out of his skin. They've got like a prost, you know, they've got his head coming out of a prosthetic body to make this happen and like parts of his shoulders puff up like balloons. There's one part where his head puffs up Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the effects are great. Yeah, I mean, this is where it gets a little bit body horror. Uh, Not in the way that it actually feels horrific, but it is that level of, like, fleshy uh, surrealism that brings to mind, actually brings to mind to draw into, to connect it to one of the films we mentioned earlier, but Altered States. It's like that kind of a feeling. Yeah. And it also seems like a sequence that may have inspired some of the effects in Big Trouble in Little China concerning um, the one of the three storms, Thunder, whose main superpower is that he, uh, when he gets mad, he inflates himself like a balloon. That's right. I thought of exactly that same comparison. Yeah, I wondered if this inspired that. Yeah. And again, like in, in Carpenter's film, they go in an entirely different direction with it, but you know, you can see, you can still see the connection uh, between these these two effects. What if we did something like this, but instead did it this way? 
But uh, by transferring his some of his power into Deeming Chi, he makes Deeming Chi increasingly formidable. Like he gives him sort of like some magic juice. Mm-hmm. So Deeming Chi's stock as a as a great sorcery warrior is rising. Um, and after this, there's a moment where the partially possessed monk tries to attack Ding Yen. Uh, then the countess like flies out of her room again. She shoots sub-zero magic at him, freezes him into a ice block, and then ice skates on him across the room. Now, when he's attacking, is this the sequence where there keep like pinpoints of light keep springing up across his body? Um, oh, I don't remember. Like he's almost as if he's being shot by a magical machine gun off screen. Mm. Um, this is a recurring effect in this film that uh, I'm not entirely sure how they did it, but it looks amazing. And like a lot of the, the magical effects in it, in this film, it also just feels like you are witnessing something that is indeed connected to some sort of very rich and complex magical reality that, um, that, that you, you can only, you know, barely understand. Like it's the, the right kind of confusion to have when engaging in some sort of a, a magical realm, you know? Yeah, yeah. So eventually the, the Countess does take the monk into the chamber to heal him. Uh, and she sort of like pumps magic into him and te- telekinetically is moving these Buddha statues around in the room. That seems mm-hmm. to be part of the healing process. And the Countess eventually cures the monk, but in doing so suffers magical injury and collapses into Ding Yan's arms. And they sort of have a moment. She like wakes up and sort of slaps him. But it's also clear that they are destined to be in love. Uh, meanwhile, there's other stuff going on where the two young heroes are like trying to get into the chamber and there's a bunch of goofy jokes about like their pants keep falling down in front of the female warriors. Um, and then, yeah. And then they try to like escape from the female warriors by going through a hole in the hallway that goes out to a magical underwater world. But, uh, Yijin can't swim. So they have to come back and then. They end up being sort of like caught and disciplined by the Countess's bodyguards, including the main bodyguard here. Uh, I think Mu Song, who is played by Moon Lee, who they use like flying swords to cut off all of Yi Jin and Deeming Chi's clothes. And then they're like standing there naked, being mocked by the bodyguards. And she's like, I'm going to tell your masters on you. And they're like, uh, Yi Jin at least does not want the master to know about his shameful conduct. So, I don't know, there's all that kind of silliness going on. But the, but Musang will eventually sort of join our heroes and become one of the one of the main heroes. I want to throw in that Moon Lee was also in Mr. Vampire. A lot of connective tissue between these two films, it turns out. And later after this, there's that, uh, that like, romantic fight scene with Ding Yan and the Countess where they're, like, riding the elephants around, the yeah. elephant statues around in the room. Um, oh, man, I... So I, I'm running out of steam to recap here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's that's how you feel with this film. Like, it's like you watch the most amazing, not, not all, even necessarily like a fight sequence, because certainly like the romantic fight sequence, you have the choreography element to it. And then you have like the various levels of, um, you know, of wire um, stunts that are involved and bits of the set moving around. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's just like you, you make it through that sequence and it's just overwhelming. And then... Uh, it gets even more overwhelming in the next sequence. Like the the movie still successfully builds up towards its finale. And by the time you get to the finale, it is just otherworldly. And it's just, it's, it's a lot to take in. 
So some a couple of very broad strokes about things that will happen later. We know, we know eventually our heroes will make the progress towards uh, towards the Blade of Heaven Peak. Um, they'll go up there. They will uh, attain the swords. They will meet the uh, the guy who's chained to the big ball who we talked about earlier. There's going to be a conflict with the Blood Demon. There's going to be a lot of our young heroes sort of like ascending and taking over the mantle from the older their older counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sort of have. You know, the older counterparts sort of exist on three levels. There's like Ding Yan and Di Ming Chi. There's the monk and his apprentice. And there's the countess and Musong. And uh, so the younger ones will sort of ascend and take over responsibilities. And uh, there, there's going to be a lot of like flying through the astral plane to battle the demon in the end. Uh, in again, just visually amazing uh, fight sequences towards the end. Uh, oh God! What 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 details do you want to zoom in on, Rob? Oh, I I want to zoom in on the fact that we finally get the two swords to battle the big bad with like ten minutes remaining. This yes. is one of those movies where I'm like, really, you got you got ten minutes to pull this off. These swords better be amazing. Fortunately, the swords are amazing. <laughs> they do incredible things. Like there's this whole bit about how to wield the swords they have to be of one mind like it gets very trippy and weird not only in visual presentation but also in just like the information that you're having to uh, absorb and i you know at at this point in the film i also realized i should have probably just done uh the the english dub on this so that i'm not reading everything at the same time as um as karan pointed out in, in his extra on the shout disc it's like any way you watch this movie you're watching it dubbed. You're either watching it dubbed into ma- uh, Mandarin, watching it dubbed into Cantonese, or you're watching it dubbed into English. You know, so you can you could get into an argument over what's the most authentic um, vocal track. But uh, I don't know. By the end of it, I was like, I I don't know if I need to read anything. There's just so much going on on the screen. I should just be absorbing it that way. I agree. This is the next time I watch it. I'm going to watch it with the English dub. I watched it with subtitles, and I. I kind of regret it. I just want to be able to look at what's happening and I'll, I'll listen for the dialogue. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's incredible. Flying swords, swords that multiply, swords that have to be wielded by individuals whose mind has been forged together via psycho-spiritual magical powers. Um, absolutely crazy. They have to go back to the Countess and get cured again because Ding Yen <laughs> also gets cursed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that happens twice. Oh, and then we uh, Samo Hung Kong comes back yes. as the Red Soldier at the end because they like come back down to Earth and there's a battle going on and it's like, oh, there's my old friend uh, Samo Hung. Yeah, and uh, they they reconcile. Oh, and Samo Hung is fighting another warrior. I believe the warrior is in blue, and this is our director. This is Hawk <laughs> in a nice little um, director's cameo, uh, locked in Mortal Combat with Samo yeah, Samo Hung. It's uh, it's 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 tremendous, but also a complete what is happening kind of ending. Like <laughs> it just suddenly stops, almost as yeah. if there's just no more energy for this film to continue happening in front of our eyes. Yeah, it's like, is this the conclusion, or is it just like this is as much as you could do? Yeah, and it was a lot. <laughs> and in the end, is evil defeated? Um, is <laughs> I guess he was sure. defeated, but the the world seems to still uh, be possessed by battle and strife. So uh, I guess we kind of knew from the outset that we weren't going to be able to cure the the world of that. Um, but the the blood demon is defeated, uh, so at least we have that going for us. 
order of priorities, Blood Demon is the worst thing. And then you stop the strife after that. Yeah. I'm just glad they found time to defeat it. Again, not until the last 10 minutes of the picture did they actually have everything together enough to go after the the big bad. Not a criticism. That's just how it ended up being structured. Okay. There is much more to say about this movie, but I cannot do it. I cannot say more. (laughs) Yeah. Zoo Warriors. Uh, Yeah, this is one that I I think invites multiple viewings uh, to fully digest everything that's happening. And men also invites just multiple conversations. You can have a whole conversation about any given sequence in this picture. It's almost too much. It's almost too much movie to talk about on Weird House. I feel like if we come back to Hawk's filmography, maybe we should do We're Going to Eat You. I feel like that might be a <sighs> okay. you know, venture into the, the, the horror comedy, uh, zombie comedy kind of uh, area here. I, I am game to do any movies by this man. <laughs> All right, we'll go ahead and close it out here. But we'd love to hear from you out there. If you have thoughts on Zoo Warriors, uh, if you have thoughts on other uh, films by the director, other films featuring some of the actors we've talked about here, because I know some of you out there are probably uh, more experienced uh, with Wuxia and and Hong Kong cinema uh, than we are. And uh, if that's the case, you know, write in, share your expertise and your love with us. Uh, We would love to hear from you. As usual, we'll remind you that Stuff to Blow Your Mind is primarily a science podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird movie here on Weird House Cinema. And if you want to see a complete list of all the movies we've covered so far and sometimes a peek ahead at what's coming up next, you can go over to letterbox.com. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com, which is a you know great website for chronicling the films that you've watched or want to watch, uh, doing little mini reviews about them and so forth. Uh, fun site. And we have an account there. It's Weird House. You'll find a list of all the movies we've done. Uh, and it's a, it's a pretty fun interface to play around with. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking and all-day drinks for one low price but you better hurry because this bundle won't last long save now at cedarpoint.com 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.